I'm Leslie Moody, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. We are into our series on navigating modern Christianity, and if you haven't caught the first few episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. As you have time, it'll give you a great foundation for what we're diving into as we move forward in this series. Today, I want to talk about how to recognize subtle lies, how to discern error from truth in the body of Christ, and that is such an important skill for us as set-apart women, and so many of us get off track because we don't have that understanding of how to separate lies from truth. There is a lot of error creeping into the church today under the banner of books and songs and messages. And because truth is cleverly and artistically blended with the lie, we oftentimes don't see it. So that's what we're going to be diving into today. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that there are just a couple of weeks left to take advantage of our early bird pricing for our 2024 Set Apart Conference. The conference is happening June 7th through 9th in Colorado, or you can join us from anywhere via simulcast. And I am so excited about this year's theme. He is experienced experiencing the extraordinary reality of Jesus. This is going to be a weekend where we meditate and focus on everything Jesus is and what he wants to be in our everyday lives, how he can touch the deepest hurts, how he can be a part of every decision and every thought throughout our day. And I'm so excited for what God has in store for this weekend. We do tend to fill very quickly, so please register soon. If you're thinking about joining us this year, it makes a great sister getaway or friend getaway, mother-daughter retreats, great for women of every age. Just go to setapart.org. If you'd like to learn more, click on events, or you can click the link in this podcast description. So let's talk about how to recognize subtle lies. When I was a young Christian, I used to sort of assume that every book and song and album and message that integrated into the Christian world had already been vetted or tested by a committee. I don't know what I pictured, maybe a group of older, godly Christian men that would kind of test everything against Christ and make sure everything that was hitting the Christian market was biblically sound. I had noticed that a lot of pastors look to the newest Christian books, the most popular Christian books, to shape the direction of their churches and their messages. In fact, Eric and I were part of a church one time where we were sort of helping lead like the youth and the young adults, and we would sit in pastors' meetings and they would talk about how they wanted to build their messages around whatever book was the most popular in the Christian world. And I had also seen that a lot of music and worship leaders followed the trends of the latest Christian artists to shape their church worship services and choose their songs. So in my mind, it seemed reasonable that the messages, the ideas that were so influential in molding churches and worship services and messages and sermons would have gone through that kind of vetting and evaluation process to make sure they were really in alignment with God's word and his nature. It wasn't until quite a few years later that Eric and I became closely involved with the Christian publishing and music industries, and I began to realize how far from reality that assumption was. I remember a moment sitting across the table with the president of a very large Christian publishing company. We were talking about working with him on a book, and he bluntly told us that the Christian publishing world was an industry, not a ministry. And he said, making money is our highest priority. It's not all about just sharing the gospel and making disciples. We have to meet our bottom line. And so we are going to publish books that we know are going to sell. We're not going to just publish books that have a good or biblical message. He didn't say that they were 
we're going to publish books with an unbiblical message. He just said, our ultimate goal isn't sharing the gospel, it's making money. And that was really jarring for me to hear him say that so bluntly. I remember another conversation with the CEO of a very well-known Christian record label, and he told us very plainly that the new artists their company was signing were mostly just teenagers who didn't really care that much about God. Some of them really weren't even Christians, but they wanted to be famous, and they were willing to go the Christian route in order to get famous. He said, it's really sad, but in the end, we have to make money, so we sign them anyway, if they have talent and you know they have charisma or whatever. This is a very widespread mindset in the Christian, quote, industry, and it's provided an inroads for a lot of flawed messages to enter the church and to influence Christian thinking. There are a lot of money-driven authors and artists that have wreaked havoc on the hearts of unsuspecting believers who just assume that their messages and their songs and their ideas must be healthy simply because they bear a Christian label. I also think one of the other things that's fueling this fire is the internet. That was not something that existed a few decades ago, but now here's this platform where you really can make yourself famous if you know how to wield the internet. You don't necessarily need a lot of scriptural knowledge or proving godly character to influence modern Christianity if you know how to use the internet, if you have good marketing skills, if you have a strong social media following, you can really gain the ear of a lot of Christians just because you seem popular online. I remember getting a letter one time from a Christian publisher who wanted my support for one of their up-and-coming new authors, and what I found interesting was that the letter didn't mention anything about this author's biblically sound message, her walk with God, her spiritual background. It only talked about how many followers she had on Instagram and how many likes she had on Facebook. Her credibility as someone who could share truth from Scripture seemed to come solely from the fact that she was popular online. And again, that's just sort of a a symptom of what's going on behind the scenes in modern Christianity. And it's really no wonder that there's so much confusion within the church today because we live in a day and age that I feel can be described by Isaiah 59, 14. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets and honesty cannot enter. Really truth-centered, Christ-focused, biblically sound believers are not always common and normal anymore. A lot of times they're the exception. And when you look at things like books and messages and songs and videos and blogs, the danger is that many of them have great things to say. A lot of times they're even biblical and they have a lot of truth woven in, but sometimes there is going to be a subtle compromise or some subtle lies that are blended into that truth. And we're very prone to receiving that because it sounds right and because there's a lot of truth mixed into it. And a lot of times when things are sung beautifully or spoken really eloquently or written in a really unusual artistic way, we miss or we overlook those lies that are woven in because we're so enamored with the delivery. And I see that happening all throughout Christianity today, and I've been prone to it myself. We just have to be watchful that we don't let those lies sort of get in a back door because we're enamored with the way something is being presented. I want to look at Acts 20, 27 through 31. This was Paul exhorting the church near the end of his life. And I've shared this verse on other podcasts. I think it's so interesting. These were some of the very last words that he spoke before he went home to be with Jesus. He said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. 
Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears." Wow, to think about Paul not ceasing to warn the church night and day with tears of these men who are going to rise up from among the church speaking perverse things. Now, these were Christians who had been discipled by the early apostles, by Paul himself, and yet they were susceptible to the subtle lies. So if they were susceptible, certainly it's something we need to be watchful about as well. And so I want to talk about what it means to become watchful over our own souls, over the messages that we are receiving and allowing into our churches. As Paul warns us, we're not supposed to just sit by passively and just accept anything and everything that is given to us in the name of Christianity. Just because it has a Christian label does not mean it's biblically sound. And that's something I had to learn the hard way through being in the publishing industry and the music industry. That does not mean that every book that comes out or every musician that is in the Christian world is not biblical. It just means that there's not a guarantee and we need to be watchful over our own souls and the messages we're accepting. God wants to equip us with godly discernment and we need to clearly recognize the difference between truth and error so that we can protect ourselves against the enemy's subtle lies. Otherwise, we're very much in danger of becoming like the weak-minded women that Paul warns about in 2 Timothy 3, 6, where he says, for among them are those who enter households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins. Now, captivate in this verse, as we've talked about in other episodes, is so interesting because it means to lead into captivity. So in other words, if we listen to and agree with those subtle lies of the enemy, we're not going to be bond servants of Christ anymore because we're now captive to a lie. Weak women in this verse actually means silly and foolish. And we only need to look at the fate of the fool in Proverbs to learn the end result of choosing the way of the fool. But God has not left us helpless amid all the confusion and the deception that surrounds us today in the church. He desires us to come to the knowledge of the truth, as it says in 1 Timothy 2.4. And he desires that for us even more than we desire it for ourselves. He doesn't want us to spend our Christian lives being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, as it says in in Ephesians 4.14, and that's where a lot of us are, but his desire is to lead us out of that. Proverbs 8.33-35 through 35 says this, Hear instruction and be wise. Do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. That is talking about the wisdom of God, and it is available to every one of us. It just doesn't automatically come. We have a responsibility before God to listen to to his voice, to hear his wisdom and not to disdain it, to watch daily at his gates and to wait at the posts of his doors. And he promises that if we seek his wisdom diligently, we will find it. And that is very comforting in the midst of so many lies. If you've ever struggled to know whether a Christian book or message or blog or song or sermon is really Christ-centered and biblically sound, then I really encourage you to become actively watchful over your soul. Paul says, therefore, 
watch. That is really his encouragement to the the church as he was preparing to go to heaven. He doesn't say, isolate yourself, go move to a cabin in the woods and cut yourself off from all other Christians. He says, be watchful, therefore watch. And so I want to share with you a few ways that we can begin that process of becoming watchful Christians. Now, if you've been following this podcast for a while, we have gone through these principles in the past when I've done series on discernment. But as we're talking about navigating modern Christianity, I think these principles are so important to continually revisit so that we don't fall prey to the lies that are all around us. And the first principle is to beware of itching ears. I remember reading a letter that was in a book about Jim Elliott, and it was something that he wrote before he went to the mission field in South America. He was talking about a woman that he knew who was really defensive for a certain style of worship service. And she said her reason was because it is most satisfying to me as an individual. And Jim's comment to this was, what in all eternity has that got to do with it? Have her personal likes and dislikes any right to dictate method in the holy church of God? It is this attitude which has brought hopeless confusion into our present order. Let God be true and every man a liar. Is it his way? Then let my personal likes be filed in the waste can. And that's from the book Shadow of the Almighty. I think that statement is something so many of us can relate to. We are so prone to believing that something is right based upon how it makes us feel. If we like it, if we want to hear it, if it makes us feel good, we assume it's right. And when we reason this way, we develop that classic case of being itching ears Christians. It says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now that really describes a lot of what you see happening in modern Christianity today. And it starts with that concept of believers who have itching ears. And that means to be desirous of hearing something pleasant. Boy, that so captures where a lot of us are at. We just want to hear nice things and good things and positive things. We don't really want to be convicted or hear hardcore messages or feel like we need to change in any way. We just want to kind of get that pat on the back. When we have itching ears, we no longer want to be shaped by God's truth. We, w- we don't want to be refined by his spirit. And we try to modify his words to align with our ideas and desires rather than letting our ideas and desires come under submission to his word. Now, there are many tickling messages that are prevalent in the church today. There are messages that tell us to pursue our own happiness, to fight for our own applause or popularity, to cling to our own desires and wants, to pattern our lives after the trends of pop culture, to treat sin lightly, to make the Christian life all about self and me and what I want. Those are very common and they come in different packages. And so often those ear tickling messages are really, this sounds so good because when you blend a little bit of truth with them, like, yes, we do have value to God and our desires matter to God and things like that. But then when you blend that with selfishness, where our agenda becomes more important than God's agenda, you might not recognize that it's actually an off-track message because it sounds so pleasant and right. Ear-tickling messages never bring us to a place of conviction or repentance or brokenness over our sin. They just help us put a spiritual label over our self-focused lives 
and they provide us with excuses for never needing to change or grow. If you find yourself evaluating a message based on how it makes you feel or picking and choosing truth based on your personal preferences, then you can pretty much bet that you're an itching ears believer instead of a discerning believer. So don't ask the question, how do I feel about this? Begin asking a different question. What does God say about this? And as Jim Elliott said, be willing to file your personal likes in the waste can in order to put God's way first. And although God's conviction might prick, it might not be pleasant immediately. In the end, it leads to abundant life and true happiness. So be careful not to let your feelings and personal preferences overrule that gentle, loving work of God's refining fire in your soul, because he says, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Let's not quell that amazing work of his purifying spirit by choosing itchy near messages, because his ways and not ours are perfect. Another principle is to make God's word your lifeline. Again, something we've talked about before in this podcast, but so important. And one of the best descriptions of what I think we often do came from a book I read by George Mueller. So he's from way back in the 1800s, and he was a famous missionary to the orphans of Bristol, England. So to think that he could articulate where a lot of us are at in modern Christianity is kind of interesting. But he talked about when he was a young Christian, he found himself being more drawn to Christian books and religious materials than to the word of God. He said, I fell into the same snare into which so many young believers fall, the reading of religious books in preference to the scriptures. My difficulty in understanding the Bible and the little enjoyment I had in it made me careless of reading it. And thus, like many believers, I practically preferred for the first four years of my divine life, the words of uninspired men to the oracles of the living God. The consequence was that I remained a babe, both in knowledge and in grace." And isn't that so relatable? There are so many devotionals, books, and blogs, and Bible studies out there that it's really easy to turn to those things as our primary source of spiritual fuel. But we need to remember that nothing can replace the word of God. It's meant to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If we're careless towards his word, if we don't take it seriously, if it's not our primary source of spiritual fuel, we're going to believe lies and error, or at least be very susceptible to that, because our feet are not on that solid rock of truth. Now more than ever, in such a time as this, we can't treat the Bible like a casual companion. It has to become our lifeline. God's word is not moldable to human ideas and opinions. We need to find out what God says and then align our lives with it. Now, Christian books and resources and blogs and things like that certainly can have value in a believer's life. But if we allow human thoughts to take the place of God's word, our ability to discern lies from truth will be hindered. I've talked about this example before, but I think it's so interesting to look back because when I was growing up, I heard a lot of right sounding messages about the importance of building up my own self-esteem. Youth leaders and other Christians told me that if I wanted to be free from insecurity, I needed to focus on my own inner beauty and goodness and protect my sense of self. Now those ideas sounded so healthy and right and good, I didn't even question them. It wasn't until I really began digging into the word of God and immersing in myself in scripture that I really Realize that the popular notion of self-esteem was in direct conflict with God's clear message of self-denial that you can see in Matthew 16, 24 and Luke 9, 23 and, and in other places as well. I was just ignorant of God's word. And as a result, I was prone to being tossed about with every wind and wave of doctrine. It's only when the word of God is our lamp and our light that we're going to recognize those subtle lies that don't align with his pattern. 
one of the ways you can make the Word of God your lifeline is to set aside time every day, not just for casually reading your Bible, but for proactively studying the scriptures and letting them shape your thoughts and beliefs. If you come to a verse or a word that you don't understand, you can use study tools like a concordance, or I love to use blueletterbible.org to kind of unearth the true meaning of the words that you're reading in the context of how they were written. And take time to memorize larger portions of scripture, meditate on them often, play an audio Bible like dwell or word of promise in the background as you're driving around during the day or doing chores around the house. When you immerse yourself in God's word as often as you possibly can, you will recognize lies so much quicker. Before you nod along with other Christians' thoughts or ideas, stop and ask yourself some key questions. Does this message agree with the truth of scripture, not just on some points, but in its entirety? Do these thoughts and ideas align with God's nature and character? And if you're not sure, take time to seek answers in the word of God. He has promised that when we seek his wisdom diligently, we will find it. And another key practical is to return to the simplicity of the gospel. We are so drawn to anything new and trendy in the modern church, and we've really been conditioned to sort of seek after the latest and greatest when it comes to almost everything in our life. And sometimes we take that same consumer mindset into spiritual things or into our Christian world. Christian leaders and Christian publishers are always sort of in this race to, quote, give the customer what they want because there's this pressure to always offer exciting new bells and whistles to keep the consumer-driven audience that they're dealing with interested. And I remember when I first entered the Christian publishing world, one of the topics of conversation among the executives was how to get young women like teen girls interested in the Bible. So they came up with the idea of a Bible zine. So it was like a fashion magazine with articles on guys and clothes and style and just throw in some Bible verses as well because they thought, well, teen girls aren't going to be interested just in the scripture, just in the word of God. And that's just such a typical mindset. It might be something like offering video games in Sunday school classes or turning a Bible study into an interactive media experience just to make everything exciting and interesting. Not that it's always wrong to use creative or artistic means to deliver the gospel, but so often it can become sort of something that we subconsciously demand. We want to go to a church or go to a Christian group that has something fresh and new and exciting and trendy rather than returning to the simplicity of the gospel and the power of the gospel, which doesn't need any bells and whistles to prop it up. One of the ways that we can avoid becoming just another Christian consumer is by approaching Christian events and church services and books and Christian activities with a different attitude. So instead of asking the question, what am I getting out of this? Let's start asking the question, what is God getting out of this? When our focus is on the glory of God and the simple power of the gospel, rather than just feeding our own whims and desires and that need for something new and exciting, we're not going to be as prone to chasing after the new and trendy messages that flash through Christianity. That is really what I feel like trips up a lot of women who are seeking to be set apart for Christ when it's a blog or an idea or a book or sort of a new approach to the Christian life that seems exciting and it seems different. We are so prone to turning aside to that and it's very often not grounded in the word of God. It's just something that feels different. And so we have to be very careful not to take this sort of modern American 
American consumer idea into our faith. We need to learn how to esteem the simplicity that is in Christ, that uncomplicated, powerful, life-changing truth that does not need bells and whistles to prop it up and make it exciting. Jesus said in John 12, 32, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. I encourage you to study the lives of men and women throughout Christian history that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, or those even that we haven't talked about on this podcast, those old paths of simple, powerful Christianity, Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey, C.T. Studd, Jim Elliott, and women like Catherine Booth, Elizabeth Fry, Amy Carmichael, Esteron Kim, Corey Tinboom, and Gladys Aylward. When you study those lives, you're reminded that when we have that singular aim in our Christian walk, not to be entertained or catered to, but the privilege of loving and honoring our worthy King. That is what the gospel is all about. Knowing Jesus Christ, understanding what he has done for us, understanding our position in him, and making him known to this world. And it's so refreshing to return to that simplicity of the gospel and really see the gospel in all its simple beauty and power and life-altering truth versus trying to say, well, I can't go to a Christian event or read a book or participate in a Christian thing unless it's something really different and trendy and exciting because that will really quickly lead us down a dangerous path. So we've talked about some practical ways to be a watchful Christian. Beware of having itching ears. Don't just be desirous of hearing something pleasant, but be willing for the Spirit of God to convict you. Be willing to dive deeper into truth, even if it makes you uncomfortable or demands a life change, because that's really how the Christian life is meant to be, constant refinement and purification by the loving Spirit of God making God's word our lifeline, not adding the Bible in as an afterthought, but making it really the lamp to our feet and the light to our path that God intended it to be. And any other Christian material that we read or participate in should just enhance what we're studying in the word of God or what our understanding of the word of God, not be a replacement for it. And then returning to the simplicity of the gospel, appreciating truth for the truth instead of trying to add a whole bunch of bells and whistles to make it new and trendy and exciting. If we begin to conduct our lives according to principles like that, and we ask God to give us his heavenly wisdom, he will equip us to discern error from truth and to discern subtle lies. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about how to respond to error and false doctrine and lies that we see in the body of Christ and how to do that in a Christ like way. For now, I encourage you to make your focus becoming a watchful Christian instead of a weak-minded woman. And as you continue to pursue the wisdom of God, you can be sure that he is going to ground you in his truth. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.